Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. We're back in the studio today with our special guest, Alan Samuel Cohen. This is episode 36, and the title today is The Human Connection, the vital role of emotional intelligence in building great teams. Do you wonder what it takes to build greater followership as a leader? Do you struggle with the people connection of leadership, especially with all the demands to get things done? Are you committed to being a leader that people want to follow? Our special guest, Alan Samuel Cohen, covers these questions and many others as we explore the keys to leading and connecting with others in order to achieve your objectives. Alan has a rich history in marketing and public relations. He actually led the team that launched the Harry Potter series. He then pivoted into human resources, and he is now a coach, speaker, and trainer in the areas of leadership and emotional intelligence. Alan helps leaders identify and move past their blind spots, especially male leaders in the areas of emotional intelligence and human connection. Get ready to go another deep dive into what it takes to be a leader that people want to follow. Podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. Well, Craig and I are back in studio again today with another intriguing guest, and we've already had a little bit of a chat with Alan Samuel Cohen, and we were particularly intrigued, both Craig and I, because we found out that Alan was part of the publicity and marketing team that mar- that launched the Harry Potter series. Craig and I are big fans, so we've already got our little fix of our Harry <laughs> Potter juice this morning before we started. But, you know, today, Alan, is a, he's a leadership an emotional intelligence coach. He works with teams. He's also a professional speaker. And one thing I loved about his bio was he talked about breakthroughs that happen when you master effective communication. And here it is, human connection. Oh, yeah. And it's so simple, but we've talked a lot on this podcast already in so many episodes about the ways that so many leaders and businesses have tried almost to take the humanness out of business. (laughs) And the successful leaders that we've had on the podcast have talked about their intentionality in bringing the humanness into the business. So I know it's going to be a great conversation. Alan's done a TEDx talk that I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. Got a long history of working with, you know, big companies, big brands like American Express, Bloomberg, MetLife, Simon & Schuster. So the list goes on, but let's get to the conversation with Alan Samuel Cohen this morning. So welcome, Alan. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Excited to have this conversation. Awesome. So Alan, I gave a a thumbnail there. Give us a little bit of the sense of the Alan Samuel Cohen story that brought you here today. (laughs) I got to say that was a great introduction. Did did I write that? Did you write that? (laughs) It was very good. It was the the mystery (laughs) of Great words with interpretation. It's like yes, poetry. It was, it was like beautiful. Poetry. I was like, who is, who is that guy? I, like to, I would like to know him. Uh, yeah, so, so uh, things, things uh, that you would not know about me from that bio. Uh, so I, I worked in, I'm a New Yorker. I live in, in New York. I just divide my time between New York and Miami. I, I'm a native New Yorker. And uh, I uh, really started out my career in publicity and public relations. I followed in my dad's footsteps. He was a, a network publicist and a freelance writer. So I was always impressed by the glamour of, uh, of working in entertainment, publicity, and media. Um, you know, he, he didn't, he spared uh, me the ugly stories. So I have to find that out on my own. Uh, but so I worked in, worked in PR and corporate communications for about 25 years and then uh, but really my last, uh, one of my last big PR jobs was at Scholastic Publishing as head of publicity for the book, uh, the book group. And, and so I, I did lead the team that launched the Harry Potter book series so over 20 years ago. But what, 
the, my pivot at that moment really was that, that I found that as much as I loved be, getting great publicity for the books and uh, what I was really about was developing the team that I led. And uh, I had some real rock stars uh, on the team, but they, they lacked confidence. And, and so, so for me, my real pride was in, in bringing them up and, and, and shining the, the spotlight on them. And from there, I transitioned into human resources and training mm. and development. They, uh, oh, I love that. Me, yeah, the company let me really write my own ticket. They, mm. they, they threw me into a training position. I suddenly was responsible for a thousand employees, had no idea what I was wow. doing. And, uh, and they <laughs> talked about faking it, faking it until you make it. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, had some success there. And then, then I went for my coaching certification, um, you know, however many years ago that was. And, and, and that's, you know, fast forward, got, I'm here. Um, I started my business in in a really down economy, and, and so my so I started as a career coach, helping financial uh, professionals figure out what they wanted to do next. A lot of them have lost hmm. Wall Street guys have lost their jobs, and and then I, I moved into working more with public relations and communications people, helping them be better leaders and communicators, which is ironic, right? They're professional communicators who needed help learning how to communicate with their their teams and. And, uh, and today I, I, I work a lot in the emotional intelligence space with leaders and teams. Um, but I do a lot of work with male leaders in particular who often get the feedback uh, that from their managers and their, their colleagues that they're lacking in emotional intelligence. Although they don't, they don't, they can't always put their, they can't always name what it is that they're not seeing. Right. Um, you know, sometimes it's just that they're bullies or, you know, or yeah. some other impolite words that I could use. Uh, so I, so I help, I help them, uh, put some polish on, on their personalities, I guess. Uh, you know, it's like gotcha. charms, charm school for executives. I think that's <laughs> what is there. And, uh, yeah. And that's, and I'm, I'm here today to, uh, you know, to talk about EQ and all those good things. Well, I love the intentionality of when you were in the publicity, uh, publicity side, and then realizing the team development was one of those key things. I, I love that heart of actually wanting to grow people. That's, that's one of the things that Jeff and I are passionate about as well. And awesome. so seeing that shift and then going into HR, what, what a, I love that you were able to do that and then, you know, be on the training side as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's been great. And I, I, I my career has been anything but linear, but I, I love <laughs> reflecting back on, the decisions that I've made and, and the jobs that I've, I've held all, because they all make sense to me today yep. in, in my, in my career and in my business, uh, the, the communications experience, the, the marketing experience, so important when you're an entrepreneur and, yeah. and uh, love the things that I'm able to share with my clients. Well, so, Alan, let's, let's start right at the heart of it because We've had so many guests on already who've talked, you know, we talk about all different elements of different kinds of leadership and context of leadership. And the common theme is so many guests have said the reality in leadership is I think the highest percentage we heard was 90, the lowest was 75% of leadership failures come down to emotional intelligence. And only about 10 to 20% are about, you know, they just don't have the right skills and tools or knowledge. And yet my experience is there's still a lot of leaders and organizations are not, that's not their focus though. They're not, it's like, it's right in front of everybody. <laughs> and I'm curious your experience, is it, do they, do you think they don't see it? Do they not want to see it? What gets in the way of giving the attention to what we know is the failure point? Sure. Well, <clears throat> well, they, at the most basic, I think that, that low emotional intelligence or, 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 or lower emotional in, in certain aspects of emotional intelligence, intelligence lives, lives in a, a professional's blind spot. So yeah. you can't, you can't always see what you, what you can't see. And that's why coaches are in business because we help people see what, what's in, in the way. But, but I also think that some of them do know and they, they, but they, for whatever the reason have made it unimportant. Mm -hmm. Or they have told themselves that to to really spend more focused time on developing those muscles is going to take time away from them doing the work that they feel 
they're most responsible. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was working with a, with a, a guy at American Express who, who ran a big area. Um, and, and, you know, and he said, well, I know I need to be more empathetic and I need to spend more time asking people what, you know, about their lives outside of work and their pain points and all that. But like that, that just seems that's going to take a lot of time when I really need to be working on decks and, you know, prepping people for presentations and, and all wow. making sales. And, and so I, I challenged him. I, I, I asked, I asked him just to, if they could even just spend five more minutes a day checking in with people. Mm-hmm. And he realized that with actually very little effort, just <laughs> a little more intention, he would, he would actually get better results. He would, he would create better engagement. The team would work better together, build more trust. And, and, and he was very successful at that. So I think it's just sometimes they just think it's going to take a lot more time than it actually needs to. And that it's not about really boiling the ocean. It's, it's like identifying one or two aspects of emotional intelligence to begin to, to exercise. And then that it's going to have a, an effect on the overall, um, the overall personality. Hmm. But the, the other thing is that I, that I think that, that there's this impression that EQ or emotional intelligence, emotional quotient is, is, is just a bunch of soft skills. <laughs> and that if, and if I'm better at it, then I'm, you know, it's just soft. It's just, it's <laughs> not, you know, the hard driving kind of, business competencies that are so important. And, and I would say that they, if they're soft skills, then why aren't more people good at it? If they're, they're soft skills that are hard to practice consistently. Oh. And, um, and, but, but we're seeing science and, 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 and data to support the, that they're really among the most important business skills uh, that need to be in every leader's toolkit if they want to be effective and create engagement. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm going back and I'm reading the, um, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People Again. I, I first went through the training program back in high school uh, through junior achievement, and that, that was life-changing. And then just reading it again, one of the things he says is, yes, after the studies, and I, I did some other research and from three different major sources, Harvard Business School, Stanford, and Carnegie Foundation, they all said, you know, 85% of success comes from our interpersonal skills and 15% comes from the job skill. Right. right. So if that's the truth, then why is it that so many people think that the soft skills, quote unquote, soft skills are such a, a weird, not where we need to focus our time, especially as leaders, we're there to engage our people and help them to be more effective. If, if you're thinking the right, you know, the way. Yeah. And, you know, I, do, I run this exercise in workshops and in training where I ask people to reflect on who the best or the most inspirational leader was that they've ever worked for. And then what to write out what the, what the behaviors were, what the, the, the skills were, what did they, they get from that leader. And, and usually it's like 99.9% are emotional intelligence skills <laughs> with a tiny little fraction of it being, a, you know, their business acumen, their business yeah. knowledge. It's really all about how they build trust and, and how they, uh, and how they engage and how they communicate and mm. listening skills and, and, and just really the things that a lot of us learned when we were kids. Right. Right. I mean, things that we learned in, in nursery school about yeah. you know, sharing your toys, you know, just like really basic things that we've somehow forgotten uh, or trivialized over yeah. the course of our busy lives. Well, I wonder if we've forgotten them because I think one of the challenges I see is, <laughs> And I, I'm right on. I'm right with you, Alan. In fact, I did a webinar last month on team engagement for a group, and I told them at the beginning. They said we're excited about this topic. Everyone wants to get better at team engagement, and I start off by saying, "No, you don't." I told them. I said, "You do not want to get better at it." And I see all these faces on the screen getting upset. I said, "Because if you really wanted to be better at it, you would be, because you all know what to do. You're just not doing it. There's no magic sauce here. It's doing those things and." What I wonder is that we didn't actually learn that it was important in business because mm-hmm. I look back at the generations that we, you know, we, everybody learned from people who were doing it the old way. And I think that in a lot of ways, emotional intelligence is a new concept in leadership mm-hmm. because if you look at, you know, look at what television and movie teaches us about leadership. So much of it is focused on that command and control model. Right. You're right. the boss. 
So I think I'm not sure we actually learned that this is an important tool in leadership. Hmm. Well, and, and also if you think about but communication is just so fundamental to emotional intelligence. It's really that set of skills and even things just like listening skills. We don't teach our kids how to listen. <laughs> I know, or, or it's, it's a, a, a fraction of, of the, the syllabus. Uh, and, and, and so why as grownups would, would we uh, do, do, should we be expected to know how to listen intuitively to listen better to listen more um just not in our in our nature well we're told uh, to i mean the teachers always told me craig sit down and listen listen craig sit down shut up and listen i used to always get highly imaginative but must learn (laughs) self-control yeah that report card haunts me every day (laughs) yeah so when I went to uh, UNC Business School, I actually chose it because of an article written in Fast Company about a leader of a GE aircraft engines um, plant in Durham, North Carolina, and how it was a self-managed group and that their results were so much better than other parts, other similar groups around the world. And I was so intrigued by the self-management perspective, I said, well, this, you know, clearly if she's saying that she learned these things over at UNC, that's where I want to go. And they did actually spend a fair amount of time talking about the, the real leadership rather than just the skills. Yeah. Or still yeah. very, very much skills-based, but yeah. um, they do have that. Well, Alan, you brought up something that we, we've talked about almost every episode <laughs> is blind spots. Yes. Blind spots are a big thing for me. And you know, it's funny because I've said several times on the podcast and in private conversations, people will say to me, you know, I'm fully aware of all of my blind spots. <laughs> and, and I usually look at them and say, okay, you're lying. <laughs> if, if there's still a blind spot, you don't know them yet. Right. Once you no, know no, them, you're not a blind, blind spot blind. anymore. Right, but the question right. is this, you talk about this, I guess I'm, maybe it's a process or approach that helps people identify their blind spots. You know, you, it's an outside coach. Do you teach organizations how to do it internally so it's not just the coach? Talk about the blind spot piece. Sure, sure. So, so the um, you know we can't we can't see what our we can only see what our filter lets us lets us see. So that's that's why executive coaches and peers and mentors are, can be so so valuable. Um, but in order to appreciate feedback and to take feedback in, um, you've got to you've got to adapt something of a growth mindset and not see feedback as as confronting. So you've got to train people to give feedback as well as as to receive it. Um, so I talk a lot about the two percent solution. And so the the you know to hear something that's that feels negative to you is can be really hard and confronting. But if you ask the, the individual, if, you know, so let's say even if like 2% of that was true, mm-hmm. right? Just like, just what if, right? Let's just like go crazy here. Like 2%, like what, you know, how would you, what would you think of that? Like, you know, could you really just sort of dig in and see how somebody could see that? Just 2%. And, um, and usually people are, are able to, to find that out. But the, the, feedback, the feedback mechanism is so important. So even when I use emotional intelligence, um, to, ooh, when people self-assess their, themselves in these 15 different aspects of emotional intelligence, I'll usually also do some sort of a 360 feedback um, tool with that and allow others to, to also give, give feedback in those same areas. And then we have all this data. And then the, the, the client can determine which aspects of that they agree with, which they disagree with, what they, you know, they agree with, but they don't really care. You know, because, you know, you may agree, well, oh, you know, somebody, you know, people think that I'm overly assertive. Well, okay, but that's getting me the result and, and I don't feel like doing anything about it. But usually there are a couple of areas where they're like, well, if people see that in me, that's not good, right? Because that perception is their reality and it's probably impacting their performance and reflecting on mine. So I'm, I'm open to working on, on 2%. All right, just two percent, and then they say, "Oh, that was easy. Look what I'm getting. Look at how much better things are." Now I'm I'm open to to even stretching myself further. 
So that that's um, but I, I think that leaders, the leaders to be effective need to be open to feedback absolutely, and they need to create cultures of feedback where it's not just <laughs> where feedback isn't just given when when things are really really going off the rails, but just on a on a regular and routine basis, so people are comfortable with the feedback conversation. Yeah. In fact, I think it's it's more important when we do those little things, then then when something really comes up, we're gonna learn about it much sooner than we would otherwise. Absolutely. Before it becomes a you know and a you know what show. <laughs> so I'm curious, Alan, I guess in some ways I'm looking for signs of hope, I'll admit in this question. <laughs> because you're in this industry about how often is your work is are the leaders, the positional leaders, self-identifying the need or is it coming up in the context of them saying it's not my issue? Um, you know, one of the biggest things I hear, and it's probably the saddest thing I hear when I speak, is so many people who are not at the top position coming to me and saying, this is great stuff, Jeff, but what if the issue is our leader? Right. Right. No, I think you're, I think you're right. I think often people with the lower, lower emotional intelligence aren't the people who necessarily root know that, see that in themselves, um, or there may be things about their personalities or about their, their attitudes or behaviors that, more attitudes and behaviors that, that are troubling to them, but they, they don't necessarily, they haven't necessarily labeled it as emotional intelligence. So some of it is an education to, to you know, for instance, I'll, I'll share about my own, my own EQ because I've worked on it for much of my career. I have very low impulse control mm. and, and, and impulse and my impulse control being low at times has really helped me because I get a lot done in a short amount of time. I'm very responsive, but it's also really kicked me in the, you know, what, because <laughs> it's had me, you know, put my foot in my mouth or say yes to things too quickly and overcommit. And now if you, now a lot of leaders could acknowledge that they, they may not say it's my low impulse control, but they might say, God, I'm always overcommitting <laughs> and I'm not getting anything done because I'm saying yes to this unit head or this manager or whatever, you know, and suddenly I have nothing to show for it. So, so if you, you know, I don't know that we necessarily leave with like, you know, hey, you need to build your emotional intelligence, but it's more like, hey, you've identified that you're overcommitting. Let's look at that in context of all of these different aspects of of how you show up and determine what you want to work on and how to balance things out. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartevera. Cartevera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartevera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartevera.com. Welcome back. So speak to, and I think I know we've asked a number of guests this, and I think it's a tough question based on the answers we've gotten, actually, which is how, in what ways can the team itself be part of the solution and, and how do you help them be part of that solution? Yeah, that's a great question, Jeff. So, so emotional intelligence work can also be done with teams. So, you know, if you've got a team that wants to work together and be more cohesive and you can have them identify which are the most important emotional intelligent elements for them to prioritize. So, for instance, I do a lot of work with nonprofits. So also often they'll say they need to prioritize interpersonal relationships, empathy, social responsibility, and problem solving, using emotions uh, in, um, in a responsible way and making decisions. And so, so then, they, then we look at like, well, okay, so, that, you know, so we do like a forced sorting essentially and, and compel them to, to identify those and then come up with, with what do the behaviors look like, why is that important, and how are we going to hold each other accountable to those things? How are we going to keep, keep those as priorities? And that's how the teams... You know, and then they look at their own EQ profiles on an individual basis, and they say, "Okay, well, as a member of this team, as this of the system of this entity, 
what do I need to build in order to be more, to, to be more collaborative, to, to bring myself up to what the team is valuing? So if I've got lower empathy, but the team is valuing high empathy and I'm part of that conversation, I need to get on the train. I hope I'm explaining that appropriately. Well, and I'm always curious because, you know, leaders, the more, the higher you go up in leadership, the one challenge they all talk about is it's much more difficult to get feedback, Mm. at least honest feedback. And it's actually, it's funny because, you know, a lot of leaders have told me, positional leaders have said, well, I don't really get any feedback, so I must be doing well. <laughs> and I usually say, well, that that is that is an assumption. It's not a very good one. You might want to go a different direction. Silence is not a good thing. Yeah. But are yeah. There, are there things you do in working with the team? You kept talking about feedback, but what are some of the ideas that teams and leaders can use to start just start building that feedback muscle? Sure. So so I I will teach a feedback model. Um, there's one that I'm thinking of in particular that, that, that we start using on low stakes situations. Uh, so it's, you know, I use this likes, concerns, suggestions model. So say um, someone, one, someone on your team has just done a presentation. Um, right after that presentation, you sit with them and you ask them to self-assess. What did you like about how that presentation went? What are your concerns about it? and then pair a suggestion with a concern. Uh, for each concern, there needs to be a suggestion. And then the, the manager or the leader will say, will agree with what, usually agree with what the person individual liked and agree with the concerns and suggestions and say, I have one or two other things that I want you to think about. Concerns, suggestions, concerns, suggestions. But you start building that into the culture, then you know, it's like, okay, I'm about to get LCS here. And like, I'm, I'm good with that, right? But like, but you don't do that. It's disingenuous to do that when when something is really, really outrageously bad, yeah. right? You know, it's like we need to just like I just need to address right now, like why this was inappropriate. Yeah. And but but if you're building the trust all along by that back and forth feedback, then when something really, really horrible happens, the the team member knows that. The boss has, you know, has my back, right? And this is coming from a place of genuine concern and support. Mm-hmm. And it must, and I need to really take extra, like, because he didn't LCS me on this one, like, the, like this one is a, like that much more, <laughs> right? Like, I really need to pay attention here. And, uh, wow. and so I think that's like distinguishing what is just the sort of day-to-day feedback and what's the like, like we got now we're actually in damage control and <laughs> you know, I'm going to give you some feedback here, which is you know, hard for me to give. And it's probably hard for you to hear, but we need to, we need to address it right on. Sounds like they need to have situational awareness if they're in that situation that, and exactly. you know, hopefully they're, they're catching up on the clues there. Well, what this exactly. sounds like to me is it's, it's building a culture of vulnerability and trust. And as we've had somebody say, you know, vulnerability is the shortcut to trust. And as we have trusted organizations, we're going to have people tell us what's going on for them. And, you know, whether we agree with it or not, listening is one of those key, key elements. And so as you look at the vulnerability, you know, you're talking about some of the, the easy ways. You know, the LCS is, is one of those ways. I like that. It sounds like a, an easy way to get started in building a little yeah. bit of vulnerability in there. Um, what do you see as the biggest barrier for leaders to actually accept some of the feedback that maybe they don't they don't agree with? Yeah, well, so agreeing or not agreeing, I guess, is less important than just acknowledging that some that it's ha- that someone is seeing me in this way. Yeah, and you know, and and it's 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 empathy. It's it's. Right. It's like given, you know, like so so somebody is struggling because they're seeing you in a certain way, like you, you need to walk over to their to their part of the part of the world and really un- and try to and understand how why they're seeing what they're seeing. And and so I, I think that um you know, I think that vulnerability is a big one because it, it, it means also that, that that leader needs to let go of their ego. <laughs> And and acknowledge that they're not perfect, 
Yeah. And that there's no weakness in that acknowledgement of it. I think they'll in, instill a lot more trust um, when they're open to acknowledging that they don't know everything and that they that they want it and and they're asking for it. And uh, doesn't mean that they have to agree um, to everything that they're hearing, but they they have to at least show a willingness to hear it and to try to understand it and then to see which aspects of it they want to incorporate. And um, and, and, and keep that dialogue going. It's like, I see you see me this way, right? Let me just explain, let me further explain why I did what I did um, uh, and, and then look at where we can kind of negotiate or compromise or, or whatever. Right? Kind of sounds like uh, related to one of the, a sign that Jeff wants to put up in, in people's businesses. Well, if they're gonna be honest, <laughs> if the, the ones who really wanna be honest, the sign is no humans allowed. Just put the sign over the door. If that's how you're going to be, just let everybody know. Yeah. Don't dance yeah. around it. But I, listen, we're all we're all works in progress. I and mean, even as coaches, and sometimes you'll get feedback from a client, and you'd be like, "Oh my god!" Like, you know, that I can't believe they saw that in in how I led that session, or what you know. But but we have to be humble and and just acknowledge that that people people interpret behaviors. Through their own lens, and mm -hmm. um, and we need to, to the, the more open that we can be to others' feedback, um, the the more open, the more likely they'll be to ours, and I and right. I think that's that's the key. And I see that with couples and marriages, and I see that mm -hmm. with business partners and managers and supervisors. You know, we just you know if, if we make it okay for people to see things the way that they see things. Then, then we can begin to have more open, honest conversation. Hmm. So, Alan, I'm curious, how much of this do you think relates to, I'm going to call it lack of clarity, well, maybe misdirection of objectives or priorities, because hmm. you, as you said, you get a lot of feedback from leaders who are saying, man, I, I'm so busy. I'm so busy making this work or achieving results. I don't have time for this. Now, to me, and it, I didn't have this, well, actually, I would say early in my career, I actually did have it, and I don't know why I had it, because I was always very people-focused in yeah. my first job. I was very empowering, and I saw the people around me as people who would help this be successful because I helped them. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's always the norm. So how much of that objective or different objective gets in the way? Someone saying, hey, I'm about results here. I'll worry about, and, and by the way, it'd be nice to have some more trust here and more team engagement and more collaboration, but those are nice to have versus they're going to get me the objectives. Right, right. Well, I think that, I think that leaders need to really start listening to what, to, to what their employees are saying. Yes. Because, and, and if they, okay, so, all right, like, like things like trust, right, building trust, like we need to break that down, right? I trust you. I trust you in this situation, but I don't trust you in this situation. Mm -hmm. I trust you. I trust you to to get this done, but I don't trust you to get this done. I trust you as a as a a skilled worker, but I don't trust you as a human. Like what I, whatever it is, <laughs> I think that that you that the leaders that they will be often be surprised at what they hear, and this is why. But I think some of these discussions need to be facilitated, but because then they'll understand that. They could be that part of the reason why they're not getting the results that they want is because of a lack of trust. And and so the, the goal doesn't change. The goal is still the result. But but we need to also develop some trust like strategies to how to build trust so we can amplify the result. Because usually like if the like off because if the results aren't what they could be, it's probably because one division doesn't trust another division. They're withholding information. They're not they're not being transparent. They're they're you know they don't feel valued, so they're only doing fifty percent. They're they're slowing down the work. They're right. So so if we can if we we need if we agree on what's important, which is the result, then we and and amplifying that result, then we should also be willing to do whatever it takes to get the result. And if, if building trust is, or deepening empathy, so people actually give a you-know-what about another, another department's workload and, and they're all committed to getting that result, 
then then better conversations can be had because we know why we're doing what we're doing. That's a good point. I guess I keep thinking about trust in the sense in the context of a team, but as you're building it throughout the organization, it's team to team as well as you know overall. So that's a that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I'm with you on that, Alan, because I I'm pretty direct with organizations and some <laughs> of them self-assess the trust issue, but I'll tell them, I'll say, look, whatever issues you've got going on, it's a trust issue. Always. Yeah, I agree. It's got all sorts of labels. We can call it <laughs> communication. We can call it feedback. You call it whatever you want, but somewhere in there, there's a trust issue. And the cool companies for me to work with are, are those that self-identify and just say, look, yeah. we've got some trust issues. How do, let's, how do we work on that? Yeah, and I think we also have to acknowledge, just, just normalize the fact that, that as human beings, we often come from a place of not trusting each other. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not making anybody wrong. It's just like there's something in the system. There's something, there's something how we're structured, the way that we're set up, the com- yeah. kinds of conversations that we're having um, is making it harder for us to, to trust one another. Um, we may like each other, but we don't completely trust each other. And so what can we do now to start start building or repairing um, where there are trust gaps in, in service of that greater goal? So I'm really curious, um, Alan, with, with where you are in particular in Manhattan. To me, this- We don't trust each other at all. Right, exactly. That's, <laughs> that's where I was going. It, it just seems like everybody's in it for them. So this is the outsider's perspective. You know, what, the way that we look at, at people in New York is, you know, people are out for themselves. It's like, you know, I, I'm going to get mine kind of thing. And of course, that's not going to be, that's going to be an environment of mistrust. But, but tell us what the reality is in what you see. Uh, Right. So it makes me think of that expression. We go where our eyes go. Right. So if you want to if you want to see examples of, of distrustful behavior and and people acting poorly in New York, you'll absolutely find it. You know, you, 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 but I also think there are some amazing examples of, of uh, people pulling together and and, and kindness and, and decency. And we've seen that over the past few months in terms of COVID and, and, and oh, communities yeah. coming together. And, you know, when I walk out on these empty streets, you know, I can either look at it as like, uh, you know, barren, dystopic um, <laughs> end of the world, or I can see it as, as neighbors taking care of neighbors and mm. standing together. And so I, I um, I'm a native New Yorker, so I, you know, I actually think New York gets a bad rap because I think that at the end of the day, we, we pulled together. I, I saw that when the, the World Trade Center oh, was, yeah. was hit. I've seen that through hurricanes and, and a number of things. I think that we're very community. We're, we're a city of small communities that, um, mm. that band together when, when it, it, it's important. And, um, and I think also, we didn't really touch upon this, but you know, I do think that, that and this isn't about New York specifically, I think it's about our world. I think there's a real crisis in empathy. Mm. Um, I think we're seeing uh, the highest levels of leadership. And, and I think that we're in a, it's a new, a new day. I think that's why you're seeing some communities coming together with empathy and, you know, to really address the gap that, that we're seeing from formal leadership at the top. I think people are demanding more empathy more more kindness and and um and so i'm i am hopeful um but i but i think that leaders today especially during this covid crisis that that aren't empathetic to the care to the the cares and the concerns and the anxieties and the the emotional um the the emotional intensity of their employees right now Mm -hmm. um if they're not actually leading with that um, they're going to be screwed when things return to some semblance of normal because employees are going to remember the, the boss who was all about the result but didn't care that the, the, the parent was homeschooling yeah. and, uh, and having to just deal in this entirely different reality over the past few months. And, and I, I, so I do think that this is kind of a moment of reset <laughs> um, because everybody is kind of like, you know, yeah, we still have to stay in business, but we also have to um, take care of each other, the, the, the human, um, because we're all in this together. Yeah. That's my hope. Anyway. So, Alan, you, you touched on something there that's very important to me, and, and Craig, I know as well. Um, 
we keep talking, throwing around the word leaders and leadership. And I know in our conversation, it's by nature has been very positional. And one of the things that we're seeking to do with Cartavera, one of the core missions is to empower everyone into their leadership. Mm-hmm. So from the, from the issues you deal with around trust and empathy, you know, what would you say to the people who may not have that position? How can they have an impact in changing the dynamic in their organization, even if they don't have the power? I love that. I love that question. I, I, I think we're all, we're all leaders. Yep. We're all leaders where uh, some of us are leading consciously. Some of us are leading <laughs> unconsciously. Right. Um, and, and I think that a lot of this is about the energy that you lead from. Yeah. So, you know, the, 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 the employee who is sitting in a meeting with their arms crossed, <laughs> um, checked out, you know, rocking back and forth on the, the chair and not paying attention is, is leading, is leading from a negative space because they're probably, they're pro there are probably others in that room who were in training to them, hmm. right? Like Joe is checked out. I'm going to be checked out too. But if Joe owns the fact that he also is a leader and is actually tries to find something in the conversation that he can contribute to, he may actually be leading the energy of others in the room. And I've seen, and I know this from my experience also with at Scholastic, um, with the Harry Potter books, and some of the best ideas, some of the best, the best innovations came from some of the most junior people in the organization. Yeah. And we knew we were smart. We listened to the people who were closest to the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the person on the on the assembly line or, or wherever ideas came from everywhere. And, and so, so, so in, and I've seen, I've seen community response. I've seen people who don't, who are not congressmen or senators or, or, you know, or that are making a difference that they're using their, their platforms to get their messages out, to, to pull people in. And yeah, I think, I think everybody, everybody's a leader, whether you're the janitor um, showing up every day and, and taking pride in the work that you do and, um, or, or a first responder or, or a councilman. Or a councilman. Hmm. So one of the things that, that, that kind of brings up for me is as we're talking about some of the, the younger generation and, and listening to them and their, their input, the millennials, I think have gotten a bad rap in several ways, but yet on the other hand, you know, maybe it's, it's, something they've created for themselves in certain ways, but I want to get your feedback on, do you see that managers are are inquisitive about, you know, how do I deal with this younger generation? Do they see themselves in that? Um, Or, you know, is there something that the millennials themselves or, you know, anybody that's developing in their, in their leadership abilities, they need to be conscious of as they're stepping into that? Yeah, and, and uh, maybe this question was intentional because I know we're going to talk a little bit about um, about purpose, but I, I do think that uh, that a lot of the data supports the fact that millennials, in particular, care a great deal about purposeful work and 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 work that has meaning and and um, feeling like they're part of something that's bigger that it's not just about not just about the, the bottom line. And and I and I think that that is true, but I think. I think where we've gotten ourselves into a bit of a, uh, a predicament is that we focus so much on people's individual sense of purpose mm. that, that we've thought about, or that we've forgotten about the power of a shared purpose within organizations. And some of that is, uh, needs to happen at the hiring, at the hiring level, yeah. right? Making sure that we're hiring people whose individual purpose aligns with that of the organization. Totally rather than trying to like carry that, you know, that person's, per, person's individual purpose with their, um, with their shared, with the organization's purpose. Yeah. Um, but I think that we have to, but, but if that doesn't, if that isn't possible, then it's at least helping, helping our employees identify what their core values are and finding their way into the organization's purpose. Through the through that lens of their own personal values and and helping them um, and that's a, a, a way in which to engage them more. I also think you know I may be getting my generations mixed up, but I think that that a lot of us boomer boomers and you know we're so you know we were loyal to our companies. We we wanted to join companies, make 
and, and, and spend our lives there. And I think that that's just, I think we're just, with this gig economy, just with the way things are changing, I think we have to accept the fact that 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 our employees are there, at, like we want to give give them a quality experience while they're there, but yeah. we, we shouldn't assume that they necessarily want to spend a lifetime mm, um, right. with us. And, um, you know, because I hear a lot of leaders frustrated, oh, we've invested all of this, this personal, this professional development budget into this person, and they're just going to leave in a year or two. My answer is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. But, but, you know, what do you, but, but how much more can, um, contribution can they make while they're here? If you right. show that you actually care and increase the likelihood that they will stay while, you know, if it's working for everybody. Yeah. As Zig Ziglar said, you know, if, if there are some people that say, why should I train my people if they're just going to leave? Well, what are you going to have if you don't? Right. <laughs> and they stay. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. Exactly. It's hard, but I but I acknowledge the challenge as a leader, as a business owner. You know, when you're when it has it's kind of a revolving door. Um, but you know, all you can do is try to create the best culture possible. Um, yeah. That, that will be engaging for as long as people are there, and uh, unless you want them to sign contracts that say that they're forever. <laughs> yeah, but what what good you is that? Provide a big. Or write a big check, right? Or you could have some very unhappy employees. Right. Well, Alan, this has been fantastic. I knew it would be. I always enjoy having a conversation about emotional intelligence, self-awareness. I, I, I deeply believe, and it sounds like you do as well, that it's such a vital piece when it comes to people. And I'm going to keep shouting from the rooftops. I know you are as well. So I'm grateful that you were here to share your unique perspectives with us and the audience, um, some ideas. And I loved it because you gave them some specific ideas. Um, you know, yes, it's great to hire people like Alan or Craig or I, but having people some tools that they can make a difference every day. You know, like you said, maybe it's just that one or two percent. <laughs> just a little bit. We don't have to boil the ocean. That's right. I want to boil the ocean, but I, <laughs> I want to. Provocateur. So, Alan, one of the questions we ask all of our guests, is there anything in particular you want to promote or, or have people pay attention to uh, that you want to share? Sure. So I, so I would love to offer everyone this cool infographic um, worksheet. It's, um, they can get it at um, bit.ly slash ASD leadership, and it's five ways to use emotional intelligence to lead through uncertainty. And um, yeah, it okay, we'll put that in the show notes. Bit.ly slash ASC leadership. And, uh, and if anybody is interested in learning more about emotional intelligence and the assessment and the debrief and how to use it with teams, they can certainly reach out to me at uh, alan at alansamuelcohen.com. Gotcha. Perfect, perfect, perfect. And you know from uh, our prior communication, we always ask a question at the end. And the question uh, for you is talk about um, leadership models for you? Who, you know, who's that leadership model that comes up for you and, and what'd you learn from them? All right. So, you know, I, I, am going to stay on, on emotional intelligence for, you know, so any of the, the work of Daniel Goldman, um, is, is really embedded in, in all that, that I do. And, um, the the importance of emotional intelligence. What I what I've learned is that that everything everything is about connection and relationships and in our lives and in our business and and fundamentally emotional intelligence is about about connection and relationships. And so I I've always been been interested in in growth in those areas. But emotional intelligence and the work of Daniel Goldman actually gave me a um, a, a paradigm and a, a different way to look at how we show up as leaders and, and how much impact we can have when we put emotional intelligence as a priority. Yeah. Wonderful. And what about an individual, um, like a role model for you around leadership? Who is that and what they teach you? Sure. That's a, that's an easy one. So, uh, <laughs> so, so, um, so my dad, Joel is uh, 91 years old wow. and, uh, and he is, uh, Modern, orthodox, Jewish, intellectual, journalist, 
Uh, and the other night I was actually cleaning my apartment, which is what you do when you're in quarantine, and uh, came across this box. And on top of the box was this um, interview that I had done with my dad when I was in business school. And he, I talked about what he wanted to be remembered for. Uh, how cool, right? Everybody, if your dad's still alive, go and interview him. Yes. Um, and, and, he and basically he just described empathy. About about the ability to um, to walk in another man's shoes and mm -hmm. and to be and and to be kind um, and to even if you didn't agree with somebody to to attempt to imagine what what they're seeing from a different perspective and I thought how oh, cool you know my dad was my first uh, teacher <laughs> in emotional intelligence and uh, I've always been very blessed to uh, um, to have him in my life to uh, teach wow. me those. Fantastic. Thanks for sharing that, Alan. And thanks again for being here and uh, sharing your wisdom that makes an impact out there. Yes, sir. Glad to have you. If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartavera Tribe. The Cartavera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartavera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.